podcast hour and thank all of you once again for listening to the podcast i need to say it once again because i need followers please make sure you're following us on social media the chris williams podcast hour can be found on social media on both ig and twitter at the chris will pod and on facebook the chris williams podcast hour another shout out to our sponsor yes palettes Thank you, Yes Palettes, for sponsoring the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Yes Palettes is the palette removal, waste removal, and recycling removal company that places risk mitigation, OSHA compliance, and customer-obsessed service first. They can upscale in a moment's notice and remove barriers to provide you with a safe and clean work environment. Today's podcast is going to be wild and filled with passion. I guarantee many, if not all of you, have ever heard of my guest, Moe's Miraculous M4 Smith. Well, he is a boxer from Concord, North Carolina, and he has the guts to do something most would not have the heart or will to do, and that's step into the ring and get punched in the face to make a living. But he, like everyone else, has a story to tell and we give him the opportunity to do so. Now, it's actually a pretty fascinating story, and you will get sucked in by the craziness. Now, with that being said, I can become pretty passionate about some things. Family, friends, St. Ed's, NC State, the Yankees, the Browns, and of course, my Cowboys. But nothing triggers me like boxing. Boxing is my escape. At its best, it's a beautiful, highly skilled competition between two well-conditioned athletes. They're both physically and mentally prepared. They lay everything on the line just to claim their stake in the world. Every fighter willing to step into the ring, they deserve our respect for risking their life to entertain us and also to make a living. Now, on the other hand, and this is what burns me, it makes me feel hot and gets me riled up and pissed off. On the other hand, and at at its absolute worst, boxing can be ugly and filled with con artists who try to cheat the sport and the passionate fans like me. Whether it's a fighter who isn't committed, a lying promoter, a trainer who's just collecting a check and not caring about a fighter's well-being. Those con artists make a mockery of the best and most pure sport, which in my opinion is boxing. Now, I can be blind in my passion, so I'll let you listen to the podcast and judge. And you can tell me whether or not Moe's Miraculous M. Smith is the best of boxing or the worst of boxing. So go ahead, fill us with your comments, however you're listening, or hit us up on social media. 
This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. I got a song filled with for the strong willed. When the world gives you a raw deal, sets you off till you scream. Soft screw you when it talks to you like you don't belong. It tells you you're in the wrong field when something's in your mitochondria. Cause it lasts on to you like. Knock, knock, let the devil in, benevolent as I've ever been. Head is spinning, this medicine, screaming, dick, 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 medicine. It dick, dick, like a salad bowl, Edgar Allen Poe, bedridden, should have been dead a long what time ago. Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Today, I have a professional fighter from North Carolina that has faced some adversity. Now, he's going to share with us a side of boxing that casual fans don't always get to see, if at all. So this young man has fought four professional fights, and he is gracious enough to come onto the podcast and share his story. Now, like I've always said, everyone has a story, and he's no different. So please, welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, Mr. Mose Miraculous M4 Smith. Mose, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. So obviously, you know, welcome to the podcast. We're going to try to make this fun. So, and like I was saying, everyone has a story. You definitely have a story about another side of boxing that people don't always get to see. So thanks again for coming on and sharing. But let's start with, so people can find out who most miraculous M4 Smith is. Tell people about your struggle, you know, where you're from, how you got into boxing, that kind of stuff. So let's start with, you know, where you're from. Okay, um, I'm originally from Jackson, Michigan, but I grew up in Concord, North Carolina. Um, uh, Most people would say that I'm from the biggest hood in uh, Concord, North Carolina, in Cabarrus County, which is right next to Charlotte. Um, It's called The Bottom. Uh, I grew up right behind, uh, uh, historically back uh, at HBCU, uh, and that was... uh, Barber Scotia College, um, and, you know, it was just me and my mom, you know, kind of running the mill story for a lot of boxes, single-parent home, went through those kind of struggles. Um, I played sports throughout school, um, started in martial arts at 10, uh, wrestled throughout school, and, you know, um, after that, did a little amateur bodybuilding and was, you know, going to get get into actually MMA and kind of stumbled into boxing not long after. Okay, okay. Now, you said you started out wrestling, martial arts, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What other sports did you participate in? Um, I was a uh, actually an all-star uh, football player and wrestler. Um, I was a gold medal uh, gold medalist in uh, every turn wrestling tournament I ever wrestled in, except for one, and in that I uh, won a bronze medal. Um, so I was a, I was pretty good in wrestling. Um, I ran track. I threw shot put and discus. Um, I, I did a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, a little bit of taekwondo, um, and like I said, other than that, basketball and football. Okay, okay. And now, you previously said you came from a single family parent, right, mm-hmm. family? Yep. So 
You know, I'm familiar with that. So, and I always tell people there's, you know, there's both positive and negative, a lot of character building. What can you say that you've taken from that being raised in a single parent, family parent? What can you say you've taken from that and it's helped you along the way? Um, I, I took the, um, I, I have to say, uh, my mom used to say that I, I had what she called grit, um, that, you know, I would, you know, I, I would take a, a bad situation and uh, I'd be able to bear through it and keep on pushing through when sometimes other people wouldn't be able to push through it. Um, like, for example, the first time that I really got into uh, a major fight, because, um, you know, it's funny that I'm a fighter now because I, I wasn't really a much of a fighter when I was a kid. Um, and the first time that I really got into a fight, I got jumped by like six or seven guys. And oh, wow. I, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't stop fighting, even though that it was me against them. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, there were some other guys that knew me from my neighborhood because I got jumped by some guys from a different neighborhood. And uh, there were some guys that were going, walking by that were from my neighborhood and saw that it was me fighting. And eventually I ended up having some help, and that's, you know, how things ended up working out there. But, you know, for a while it was just me against them, and, you know, some some of them were a little bit older than me, and, you know, some of my friends were like, they, they came to help, were like, we went to help, told my mom, we went to help him because he just refused to go down. He wouldn't stop. <laughs> um, oh, wow. And so my mom always told me, because of things like that, that I had grit, that, you know, she wasn't really worried about whether I was going to make it or not because she knew that I could make it through anything. Okay, okay, all right. Now, where did you go to high school? What was the name of the high school that you went to? Uh, I went to uh, I went to Mount Pleasant High School. It's also in Cabarrus County. Uh, I was a Mount Pleasant Tiger. Okay, all right. So what was it like being a Mount Pleasant Tiger? What were your years in high school like? Were you – in altercations, I know you said you wrestled. Did you wrestle in high school as well? Um, I only wrestled for a little while in high school. And then, um, you know, I had uh, my mom's stepdad while I was in high school uh, was um, passing away because he had AIDS. Um, so me and my mom went and helped uh, as often as we could with that. And um, we ended up with me being homeschooled towards the end of high school, but I started out a Mount Pleasant Tiger. Um, and I, I finished out being homeschooled. Um, and instead of finishing uh, high school, I actually ended up deciding to go ahead and get my GED at the age of 16. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Because, because I was like, hey, I, I need to be able to work and help my family and do other things um, and had other family things going on different situations in my family. So I felt like that would be a better road for me. So I, I did. I studied for a little bit, took my took my test at the age of 16, and uh, got my GED and became a high school graduate at the age of, at the age of 16. Okay. 
All right. And what did you do immediately after graduating from high school, getting your GED? Um, I went to work for a while, um, and then um, I decided to take up some college courses, and I went to uh, Western Piedmont Community College for a while, um, where I was majoring in business administration, um, and then um, ended up going, because I actually moved up to the mountain area of North Carolina. Uh, because I felt like I'd be able to go to Western Piedmont, kind of, you know, have have some time like most college kids do, and be a, at least a little distance from home. But then um, came back home to help my mom in the middle of that, and was like, okay, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and push forward. And um, when I came home to help my mom, I, I kind of didn't. Uh, for a while, didn't go back to college and just worked to help my mom until uh, I was like 28 years old. And then I found out that I had my first child being born. Um, and then uh, I kept, of course, kept working there and then had my second child born about 13 months later. Um, and then uh, maybe a few years later, I think I was 28, 29 then, and I debuted at the age of, I want to say, 31 or 32 as a professional boxer. I kind of, like I say, I kind of stumbled into boxing. So, um, because I, I met the woman that is now my wife, um, and she had a set of twins at the time, which, you know, those are my twins. I'm the only father that they've ever known, and I love them like they're my own. Um, and uh, I went into a boxing academy in Concord, Singleton's Boxing Academy. It was ran by uh, Bad News Benji Singleton, who boxed professionally for 14 years. Um, and I went in to see what they did with kids because I saw it was a boxing academy. First thing I thought it was for kids. And... Um, on my way out, he gave me the information, and then he asked me, he said, hey, have you uh, ever sparred before? I've got a heavyweight coming by to spar tonight, and he needs a sparring partner, and right now he's 4-0 in boxing, and he's 4-0 with four knockouts. Would you mind sparring with him? I'm like, sure, I'd love to. Um, and I actually um, went by that night, and sparred with him, and he threw a jab. I went up under it. I caught him with two uppercuts, and I knocked him out. And it was like wow. 18 seconds. And uh, Benji called me the next morning at uh, 6.45 and, mm -hmm. um, and said that he wanted to train and manage me to box professionally. And I, I've been boxing ever since. He asked me that day what name I was going to uh, – I'll never forget him. He started laughing. He said, what name are you going to box under? I said, I don't know. He's like, well, you know, Mike is Iron Mike Tyson, and Marvin was Marvelous uh, uh, Mar marvelous Marvin Hagler. He's like, so you got to come up with a name. I'm like, well, I'll sleep on that, and I'll tell you. And uh, I went to sleep, and before I started boxing, while I was working for a while, I was doing construction, 
and I actually did the brick sidewalks at UNC Charlotte with my own hands as a brick mason. Oh, wow. And um, the last day we were out there, I had a concrete nail go through my right eye and lodge my sinus passage. And doctors had told me from that accident I was going to be completely blind. Well, I went into Benji's gym about a year and a half after that accident. And um, after them telling me I was going to be completely blind and they were completely sure, and I had, God had given me my sight back, and not only had given me my sight back, but my, my vision is better now than it was before the accident. Um, and um, I, I slept on it, and when I woke up that morning, I called Benji, and I told him, I said, I know what name I'm going to box under. I said, because I'm a walking, talking miracle. I'm going to box under the name Miraculous M4 because my name is Mose L. Smith IV. And I said, so I'm Miraculous M4. I'm a walking, talking miracle. And nice. Who, nice. You know, who can stop what God stand, when God's standing with you? And, you know, I'm living proof that God still heals the blind, so I know that God's standing with me. Okay. That's a great story. That is a great story. I want to go back and, and talk about some of the jobs that you had. What, what kind of professions did you hold down while you were, you know, making your way to pro boxing and taking care of your family? Yeah. Um, I, I worked in retail for a while, um, just working in, in stores like TJ Maxx and Kohl's. Um, but then for the longest time, I did construction work. Um, and I did everything from concrete masonry, brick masonry, carpentry, um, drywall hanging. Um, as a matter of fact, the church that I went to when I was a kid, Mount Calvary Holy Church of Concord, North Carolina, um, I helped build that church with my own hands. Um, oh, wow. and, and that was a major learning experience for me and a blessing to me, um, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it was a long road of work, but I thank God for opening the door for me to be able to box. Um, because when I, you know, like a lot of kids, when I came out of school, my dream was to go forward and um, go forward and do, um, and, um, and, and do something like maybe, you know, have the dream of playing in the NBA or the NFL, but um, it was, you know, that that wasn't what God had for me. What God had for me was to be a professional boxer. And, you know, after doing construction work for years, and I had that accident, and then after the accident, I wasn't able to work for a while. Um, I just got work, work in comp checks. Um, until we settled out, and when we settled out, I was like, okay, um, everything is, everything's working, everything's good, and I didn't know what was going to be next until God opened the door for me to live in the box. Okay, okay. So you make your pro debut in 2016. So, and you, like you said before, you know, you, you stumbled upon a gym trying to figure out what the academy was all about. 
So talk about, um, you know, your road from the first time you knocked that guy out to your first bout. How did that come about? I mean, I, I know you made the decision, but, you know, they had some training had to be involved, and, you know, at some point it had to click to say, hey, this is what I want to do. So what was that decision yeah. like? Um, I, um, it, it was, it was interesting. Um, I had, uh, I had two, uh, three sparring partners when I was at Benji's gym actually come and they, um, and they actually, uh, they actually quit their. How we talk about stuff? They actually quit boxing um, after sparring with me. Um, one happened, and he had actually had two professional fights already as a cruiserweight. And Benji told me, said, "Look, when you know, sometimes he likes to come out and touch gloves." every round, but a lot of professionals don't do that. Um, and I was like, okay, well, that's no problem. And he said, well, what I want you to do, he said, I'm trying to teach him to stop doing that. He said, so when he comes out the second round and goes to catch gloves, just throw an overhand right and catch him. And so I did, and as soon as I catch him, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. And Benji had already told me, he's like, you don't stop unless that bell stops or I tell you to stop. And so, with that being said, I didn't. I kept going, and um, he was like, hey, uh, after that, he didn't come back to the gym for about six months, and he ended up quitting boxing. Um, I had, uh, he was also a cruiserweight. He was little. He fought amateur. And... He was like, um, he was like, hey, let let's do do this, do that, and um, I actually ended up catching him, um, and and after sparring with him, you know, he sparred with me twice, and he he just he didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and my other sparring partner was a heavyweight, and. Um, as a heavyweight, he was, we were sparring and, um, um, and he, uh, and, and as a, a heavyweight, he just told, he ended up telling me, he was like, man, he's like, do most heavyweights hit like you do? And I said, yeah, there's even some out there that hit a lot harder than I do. I'm like, I'm trying to catch up to them. And he said, then boxing isn't for me. And I said, well, oh, wow. it's not for every. I said, I said then it's not, it's not for everybody, man. I said, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying that it's not for you, but still being able to enjoy it. I said, you can enjoy doing it for fitness. You can enjoy it as a fan. I said, that doesn't mean you have to do it as a professional. Um, I said, you know, it's it's. It's it's a rough sport. It's not for everybody. So you know, I've I've had three sparring partners quit boxing completely. Um, I regrettably also found out that 
uh, Benji Singleton, who originally signed me to a uh, boxing management contract and was my original trainer, although I learned a lot from him. He, um, he was not licensed to manage and signed me to an illegitimate management contract. And um, due to that, uh, he and I ended up severing ties because I told him, I said, you know, I, I've learned a lot from you and I wanted to keep going forward with you, but if I can't trust you to be honest with me, then I can't trust you to be a part of my team. Um, and so we severed ties, and for a while I looked for I, I looked for a gym to train out of, and, you know, at the same time I used the knowledge I had from my amateur bodybuilding career and kept training myself, and I started reaching out to um, – I started reaching out to promoters on my own and uh, Benji had put me in contact with David Moore of okay. uh, one hit promotions mm-hmm. and uh, David got back in contact with me and we were still able to negotiate my uh, debut against Joel Cottle in 2016. So for that okay. fight, I pretty much trained myself and when I got to the fight, um, I believe uh, I think Skip Crumpler worked my corner for that one because I didn't have my own corner. So oh wow, that so that that's a heck of a leap. So you go from you know just basically sparring. Did you have any kind of amateur background? I had no any amateur fights. Boxing. Not not in boxing, no. Okay. Uh, only, so, only uh, amateur wrestling, only amateur wrestling matches, and uh, amateur uh, as far as like uh, taekwondo and Brazilian Brazilian jiu jitsu. Okay. Now, was there anyone there to give you any guidance to say, "Hey, you don't really play boxing. You might want to get some, you know, experience doing this first, or?" You just made up your mind. You're like, you know what? I've been sparring. I can do this. Well, um, actually, I had asked. That that was one of the other things that um, was kind of a downfall of being with Benji is I had asked, after I started boxing with him, there was a um, Golden Gloves tournament in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, that he took me to. But he told, when I asked about being in it, because there were guys from our gym that were in it, I asked him about being in it, and there were, um, and, and he said that it was too late for me to be entered, which I ended up finding later out later on that wasn't true, um, mm. that I could have entered. But, um, you know, he had encouraged me to go ahead and, go up and go up to Raleigh to the state capitol and pay for my boxing license. And I went ahead and, and, and got started um, because I was like, well, I've got a, a good trainer. I've, I'm going to get good sparring. And if there's one thing I know I can do, I can fight. Um, and, you know, so I took the little bit of knowledge I had and I said, God, open the door. I'm going to walk through it. And so I walked through the door, and I, I debuted against Joel Cottle. Gotcha. Okay. 
Okay. All right. So, of course, that was in, in 2016. Yes. So, and, and unfortunately, you end up making your pro debut against one of the best heavyweights from the state of North Carolina. Yes. So how was that experience for you? Um, that experience was a, a major learning experience, actually. Um, it, it was a major learning experience, but it also showed me that there's nobody in this business that if I've got good training and a good team around me, there's nobody in this business that can beat me. Um, and um, I ended up finding that out because, um, you know, even though I wasn't prepared to go with somebody that had already won two MMA titles before we fought and was 3-0 and and, like you say, one of the best heavyweights out of North Carolina, um, he um, literally, when, um, like I say, he, he is um, undoubtedly one of the best heavyweights out of North Carolina, and it was an honor uh, for me and a learning experience being, uh, fighting against him, and I enjoyed fighting against him, and actually... Um, I feel like after that fight, there was a mutual respect between us because um, Joel is an all-around really nice guy, um, mm-hmm. really good guy as well. Um, and he, you know, he and I talked afterwards. Um, we most definitely, I feel, earned each other's respect in the ring, even though it ended in the first round. Um, I feel like he respected the fact that I came at it and even though I was, I really wasn't ready for that fight, I came at that fight and I I came to fight when a lot of guys come and they say, oh, I'm going to get hit a few times and I'm just going to make a little bit of money and going about my business. I don't, I don't. I didn't do that, and I never have. I came to fight, and I came to win. Um, regrettably, I lost that fight, but like I say, it was a major learning experience, and I most definitely came to win that fight. And if he and I ever do fight again, then you know I'll still most definitely come to win that fight again. But I don't know if we ever will. Okay. Now I, I have to ask the hard question. So yes. that fight, that fight only lasts forty six seconds. So like you said, the first round. So yep. inside the ring, I'm, and I'm not talking about the mutual respect because first of all, any guy, any guy that has the guts, or any female that has the guts to get inside the ring, you know, they have the ultimate respect. But. Yes. You said you, you took some things from that fight. What is it that you learned in 46 seconds from that fight? Um, in, that, in that fight, I learned, one, that I, I, I reaffirm, it reaffirmed some of my base, the basics that I learned in boxing. And to, one, to throw everything behind. 
um, because when I came out, I came out, when I say I came out, I came out to fight, I landed the first two punches of the fight, and I, both of them were hard, and Joel was just like, okay, well, you know, he, he like I say, he won two major MMA titles after, and um, and I was like, okay. Um, he had won two major MMA titles before. He was a seasoned fighter, and you know, he he took he took two of my best shots. And where you know, I was also used to my sparring partners quitting, and um, even in street fights that I'd had, you know, I'd catch people with a two or a three piece and put them to sleep. You know, um, in the rare times that I did ha- that I did have to fight. I learned that in, in boxing that, you know, this is what we train for. Couldn't sleep with, a two, with just a two or three piece. Um, and it, it taught me that I had to, if I wanted to do this, I had to go harder. And it gave me inspiration to be better. It gave me inspiration to be able to say that it hands down, if you call yourself the king of the Carolinas in the heavyweight division, you have to be able to beat me first. Um, and that I was going to have to build myself and learn to be able to stake that claim. And um, I've got a fight coming February 13th, and that's what, I'm, that's what I'm working on this year is showing that I'm the heavyweight king of the Carolinas. Okay. All right. So, and and right now you have four fights, right? Yep. So you talk about yep. trying to prove that you're the heavyweight king of the Carolinas. So yes. uh, l- let me back up. Let me. So from the Joel Cottle fight, you fight a month later. So you yes. didn't really have any time to prepare or get get any better. But you fight a guy by the name of uh, what is it, Demonte Cherry? Is that his name? Demonte Cherry. Yes. Yeah, Demonte Cherry. So what happened in that fight, which would have been your second fight? Um, what happened in that fight? Um, I met a guy by the name of John Latou, um, back in the eighties and early nineties. He was a ah, professional wrestler. wrestler. Yeah, he was a professional wrestler, John Savage. Um, and when he met me, he presented himself as a promoter for a company called Carolina Fight Night. Um, and we he told me he was going to bill me as the main event at a charity event uh, for the Orlando shootings, um, and I was going to fight a guy named Demonte Carey. And I was like, okay. And so, you know, I again, I trained myself, but uh, John let me know, don't worry about um, becoming, uh, you know, don't worry about a corner that he was going to work my corner. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and he was actually talking about signing me after that fight. Um, he's like, whether you win this fight or lose this fight, he's like, you should win this fight. He said, but um, whether you win this fight or lose it, I would, you know, uh, we're going to sign you and we're going to build you and make you the, you know, make people realize that you're the best heavyweight in North Carolina. I said, okay, great. You know, this is kind of like a second start for me. And so, I went into the fight with DeMonte Cherry, and I was controlling – I literally controlled the entire first round, 
And then when the bell rung um, in between the first and the second round, he right after I put my hands down, um, I learned a lesson uh, with this one, not to turn your back and not to put your hands down too fast because he closed his eyes after the bell swung and he hit me with his eyes closed. Um, even though, we, and it was quite a while after the bell. You know, when when you're backing away and somebody swings and, you you know, you've got your hands down, that's why they tell you always protect yourself. Protect because yourself he, at all times. Yep, at all times. He threw that punch that, that stunned me a little bit. Um, and my, my, when he stunned me, you know, sometimes your vision can go out for a second. Well, my vision went out for a second and my uh, straight on vision came back first, but I let John Latou know that my peripheral vision wasn't back. And John Latou actually was the one that threw in the towel for that fight and said, and I was like, and I was, I actually tried to grab the towel and throw it back at him because I still wanted to fight. And he told me I stopped, the, and the ref went ahead and stopped it because he saw the towel. And I'm like, man, why did you do that? And he said, I stopped the fight to preserve your career. He's like, if you don't have any peripheral vision at this time, we need to get your vision checked. If it doesn't come back, find out what's going on. He said, but he's like, it should clear in a few seconds. I said, if it could clear in a few seconds, I could beat, win this fight and beat him. He's like, well, we can't stop it now. And... um. I said, okay. I'm like, he's like, the fight's already stopped. He's like, but I would rather preserve your career than him be than it not it not clear and him be able to hook you all night and somebody beat you and shouldn't have beat you because you can't see. I said, well, I could see straight on and I could have beat him just seeing straight on. And you know, of course, we argued about that, but we couldn't go back and reverse the decision. Okay. All right, and that was your second fight. That happened in 2016. So then yes. for your third fight, you don't fight for two, oh, two years. So what happened yes. in between 2016 and May of 2018? Um, actually, two days after the DeMonte Cherry fight, uh, my, uh, my wife and I, my fiancé at the time, my wife and I, um, had actually – just bought a brand new 2016 Mitsubishi Outlander and we were driving on 277 in Charlotte and uh, a we were in a car accident that completely totaled the uh, Mitsubishi Outlander and we spun across three lanes and almost went over the edge. Oh, wow. Um, and I, in that accident, uh, I thank God because our kids were riding with us and all of them were fine. I was really the only one that was injured with almost every bone from the neck down. Um, and so I ended up taking off almost a year and a half to recuperate and even begin to start training again. Wow. And so, you know, after that, I, uh, I, I kind of, you know, um, I, I – I was like, okay, well, let me get started back. And I got started back training. And um, then I met, I, I was, again, started calling promoters and talking to them. Again, I was training myself, um, but I was able to get a little bit of sparring in at different gyms. And um, 
having uh, I even got a little bit down in. I got a call back from Mercedes Vasquez out of New York. Okay. Uh, he does pretty good promotion. And they also be a fight against really hard. Uh, hold on one second. Hold on one second, because uh, okay. I heard you say so. You got a fight with Mer- Mercedes. Got you a fight, and you kind of yeah. went out from there. Okay, I couldn't hear okay. you. It was inaudible on your end. Yeah. So now you're clear. Yeah. Now you're clear. Okay. Um, that fight was uh, against Willie Harvey, and um, Willie and I were um, Willie and I were scheduled to fight, and I, I felt like I was ready for the fight. But in that fight, honestly, I underestimated Willie because and, and that taught that fight taught me not to underestimate my opponent, which I, if I would have had the amateur background, I would have already learned that lesson. Um, but um, I underestimated Willie because I came in probably between two thirty and two forty for that fight. And he came in at 270, and I'll never forget at the weigh-in, um, somebody uh, that was actually there to support him saying, Willie, he's big as hell, man, and you look like a marshmallow. And they started laughing. And he said, size ain't everything. I said, it's not. I said, but I come to go hard, and I don't come to lose. He said, good, leave and um, the very, the next day, he and I fought, and <clears throat> I came out, and I said, I've got to come at this fight with just as much ferocity as I came to fight with Joel Cottle, if not more. And I came out, and I landed the first flurry of punches. And, you know, it, when, I, when I landed a one-two on him, he backed up, shook his head, and then he had that same tenacity that Joel Cardo had, and that I didn't that I didn't expect from him because I underestimated him. And he came at me, and we were going at it for a while, and I, you know we we were both doing fine. And then he caught me in my ear. Well, I didn't realize that if you catch somebody hard enough in the ear, their their eardrum is going to um, their eardrum is going to stop up. And so my eardrum stopped up and I, I covered up in my guard and I, I was against the ropes trying to get my ears to pop and because I took a second to swing back trying to get my ears to pop, the ref actually, actually stopped the fight. So uh, that I learned my lesson there of even if I got to get my ears to pop. Don't worry about it. Keep fighting. Um, you know, it's kind of like you know, the old trainers used to say, if your mouth if your mouthpiece comes out in the fight, don't stop to pick it up. Keep fighting. It's the same way if your ears are trying to get to pop, and it's something that you have to have to learn. So you know, I take that fight as a part of my learning curve, and mm-hmm. to me, to me, I lost to somebody that I shouldn't have lost to. Okay, all right. And then a, a year later, you fight Dustin Long. So yes, 
and that was your fourth professional fight. So yes. what happened with the Dustin Long fight? Yes, with the Dustin Long fight, um, kind of like the, the the Monte Cherry fight, but a little bit different. I controlled that fight, and um, I, I controlled that pretty much the, that first round and actually got him in the corner three times um, and was working, and I literally gassed myself out. It was the ta- he was the tallest person I'd ever fought. Um, he was also on, the, on season nine of um, the, I believe, the Contender Series. Um, and, you know, I knew he had more experience than anybody I'd fought. Um, and, you know, him being six, five and a half and having more experience, I didn't feel like I was nervous, but I fought like I was nervous and I threw so many punches in the first round. I gassed myself out. And then when he realized I, I gassed myself out, he threw some body blows and, and TKO'd me because I was fully gassed out. I didn't have any more energy to give. Oh wow! And what what round was that? I'm sorry. Uh, that that all, that ended in the first round. And when they tallied up the punches that I threw in the first round, I threw over 97 punches in in that part of the first round before it ended. Okay. Wow. All right. So four pro fights. You know, you obviously you overcome a bad accident, but your pro career is off to a bad start. Now, obviously, there's been worse pro starts with zero wins, but so you have a fight upcoming in February. So convince yes. listeners and, and convince me why we should consider following your career and what changes have you made, you know, professionally with the with the sport of boxing and personally, just trying to make yourself better. Because, you know, the story you keep telling, you talk about, you know, I had a little bit of sparring. Has, have you gotten better sparring? Are you with a better manager now? What changes have you made? Um, one, where I didn't have a manager before, I now do have a manager. Um, I managed my own career for the first four fights. Um, now I'm signed to Psalm 826 Management. Um, so I'm not having to manage my own career, but also, um, I'm getting a lot better training in. I've got a lot better sparring partners. I'm working around, um, I'm working around a lot better people. Uh, for example, um, I've worked, uh, I've been able to work some, and we'll be working some more before this fight with uh, Quentin Rankin, uh, who is, um, I, I'd say, one of the best light heavyweight boxers in the United States. And also, um, you know, I, I've gotten a lot better experience. I've learned from all the experience that I have. Um, in these last four fights, 
and I trained a lot harder. And this fight coming up February 13th is actually against Dylan Corson. Um, he and I were actually supposed to fight before, um, before, uh, or actually right after I fought Willie Harvey. Um, and I was actually prepared to fight him. Um, but a month away from fighting him, I was actually uh, walking through a parking lot in Charlotte and got hit by a drunk driver um, and ended up dislocating two bones from my wrist. Luckily, I was able Jesus, to get out of the you have, most you have some bad luck, man. I, yes. I hate to cut you off, but you have some bad-ass luck. Wow. Yes. Yes, um, but you know, I, I like I said, I've had those two accidents, um, and I ended up having to be in a cast for almost eight weeks because of that accident. Um, but um, I actually trained the guy that took my place in that fight, and that helped me learn a lot too. Um, because I, I helped him get get in a little bit better physical shape, um, and that was Lavar Lowe, and he ended up losing that fight because it was his debut fight, and he didn't have any amateur experience either. Um, but he was former former military. He was in the army, and I asked him. I said, "Man, if you feel like you can do this, you know, I'll help you learn. You know what I know and what I've learned, and you know you you can have this fight." And he said, yeah, let's go. And from that fight and watching other fights with Dylan Corson, I learned and I have studied how to beat him. And I've been studying how to beat him since, like, 2016, 2017. Um, And, you know, I'm like, okay, and, you know, I now stay in contact with, on a regular basis, with some of the guys that I fought, like Dustin Long, and guys that I've met at fights, like Khalil Smook, and, you know, some other great heavyweights. And I, I ask them, hey, you know, what should I do in this scenario? What should I do in that scenario? Like I say, I've got better advisors around me. I've got fighters that are more experienced than me around me. I'm getting better work, better sparring. I've got a great manager. And um, it's like, you know, I know there may be a lot of people out there that see that I'm 0-4 and say, oh, man, his career is done. But as you say, a lot of people have had worse starts than than what I've had and turned out to be champions and be great and be great fighters. Um, and that's for starting in this fight going to show what is what's happening with me right now is me showing that I don't just train hard. I don't just like Muhammad Ali said, Muhammad Ali said, I don't win underneath those lights. I win in the gym and out there on the road. I'm showing that where I didn't really have the tools to work with before, and not only do I have the tools to work with now, but I'm utilizing those tools, and iron sharpens iron. 
and I'm here to show that I'm sharper than any samurai sword ever has been, and I'm coming to cut down every one of my opponents. If my manager lines them up, I'm cutting them down, period. Whether it's, okay. be, whether it's destroying them round for round or knocking them out, they're going to go down. Okay. All right. Well, let me, let me ask you this, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate so you can get upset or, or, or whatever, because I'm, I'm just going to ask the hard questions. What are sure. you actually doing to make yourself better as a boxer? And I don't want to hear about, you know, I'm eating, I'm running. How are you improving your skill set? Because I've seen great athletes. From North Carolina, I've seen great athletes that say, oh, you know, I'm a good boxer, but they can't hit a heavy bag right. They have no technique. So what have you done? What coach do you have now that's teaching you the proper ways to parry, to block, to, you know, head movement, just the little things that you need to win a fight? Because you say, you know, you're studying these guys, but, you know, I, I study boxing. I watch boxing. Mm-hmm. I probably watch a fight or two a night. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I could beat any fighter out there. But in reality right. is, when I get in the ring, I have no freaking chance. So what are you right. doing? What exactly are you doing to give yourself a chance to get your first win? Well, um, as I said, I'm getting, uh, I've gotten some good work in with Quentin Rankin. Um, and been able to learn a lot from him, and we'll be getting some more work in with him throughout the rest of this fight camp. Um, and well, he he is not only a phenomenal boxer, but he's a great teacher. Um, and, and you know that's I, I think that he is a pivotal key in my victory. The things that I've learned from him. Um, are pivotal in, in the victory that I'm going to have on February 13th. Um, that you know, this time it's not just studying my opponent. Um, it, it's not just the fact that you know I've gone from running three miles when I do my road work to running seven. It's not just that um, I'm my equipment is better. Um, I work on a reflex bag, making sure that my reflexes are sharp, that I'm doing my foot movement properly, um, and that um, I'm actually getting good work, good training, good advice, and like you say, able to say, hey, um, show me how to do this better, or I don't feel comfortable doing this. How can we work more on this? Um, Or, you know, and that's one of the good things about me as a fighter is that I am the type of person to say, okay, I'm not feeling comfortable in this. Why am I not feeling comfortable in this? Am I I doing it incorrectly? Um, And, you know. Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me cut you off. So when you say, when you say, you know, I'm not, I'm not comfortable, I don't feel like mm-hmm. I'm doing this correctly. Is it only Quentin Rankin that you have to go to to show you how to do it properly? Well, or are there I've other got... coaches or, you know, and that's what I'm trying to find out because, you know, right. 
All right, so you fought four fights, and from mm-hmm. the explanations that you gave of why you lost, all those are things that could have been hammered out in the amateurs, right? So right. now you're in, you're in as a pro, and you're learning as a pro. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, it just, unless you're an exceptional talent, it just doesn't happen like that in boxing. It just doesn't happen. So you have to right. surround yourself with great people, and I mean really. So who have you surrounded yourself with aside from Quentin Rankin, aside from Psalms Management? You know, and I'm familiar with Psalms Management. Great mm-hmm. guy, but the talent he's put around himself, you know, I, I look at it and I'm like, man, is he going to last? You know, he'll he'll probably hit a lot right. of bumps, but, and like I said, he's a great guy, but you know, what are you guys doing to surround yourselves with with boxing people so that you guys will actually win some fights? Well, the 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 benefit of uh, having uh, Cameron Harvey of Psalms eighty two six management. One of the benefits of, of him is uh, one of the even if it's just being able to get in as an advisor. Um, on, on doing some things and somebody that will uh, take a look at my opponent and help me. Cause you know, even Freddie Roach watches his fighters opponent and says, okay, this is what we got to do to break this person down. This is how you're going to beat this person. Um, and in addition to, you know, having Quentin Rankin and being able to learn from him, um, I, I have as an advisor, um, and I, I have to give give my advisor uh, a shout out as well of uh, Chop Chop Corley, uh, former two uh, two time world champion. Um, you know who also you know he he most definitely had quite uh, a few professional fights. He, he's had much more than a few. As I said, he's two time world champion, um, and you know he has said, okay, man, listen, this is what you need to do for this. Um, you you see this is how this person comes out. You see this is what he normally does, and this is what you have to do to overcome that. This is what you have to do to beat that person. Um, and it's not just learning and training and getting the face-to-face fine-tuning of, hey, this is what you need to do. You need to tweak here, you need to tweak there but also having somebody else to calculate that has that world championship experience has been a major change in my training. Um, and he was one of the people that said, hey, man, you, he told me straight up, he's like, I know you're, you took your running up, but you need to start working more on this. You need to work more on this. This is what you need to do to be able to beat him. Um, you know, Dylan Corson, the guy that I'll be fighting on February 13th, um, not only have I been able to to, to uh, observe how he fights, I've seen him fight twice in person. Um, I watched him fight guys that came straight out of the amateurs, and I know that he also trains amateurs himself in his spare time. Um, but also, um, in, in the fights that I've seen him have, Although I don't expect him to be completely be the same fighter each fight, there are always going to be similarities to his style. And where he trains amateurs, he also still has a little bit of amateur background and experience. And where I gassed myself out when I fought 
against uh, Dustin Long. I stamina and endurance is not going to be an issue in this fight. Uh, where I controlled the fight with DeMonte Cherry, but I let my guard down. I won't be letting my guard down in this fight. Um, where I should have, you know, kept on, kept on the gas and kept fighting instead of stopping to try to pop my ears with, um, with Willie Harvey. Um, I, that, that won't be happening. I'll be continuing to keep fighting no matter what happens. Um, and the difference in between myself and um, Dylan Buck Bombs Away Corson is the fact that, as I said, his, his style is somewhat of an amateur style. That's why Brandon Spencer was able to knock him out twice, once by TKO and once by knockout. Um, and, you know, it, it's okay. It's the fact that when I when he comes with his amateur style, I'm coming with a professional style. He's not gonna he's not gonna beat me by points. When I'm when in the words of Mike Tyson, I'm coming and that's something else that I've perfected. I'm coming throwing punches with bad intentions. And okay. when I when I throw those punches with bad intentions, my intention is to put for when my arms are raised for him to be a stick on the on the canvas. That's my intention. Okay. And that and that I, I you're supposed to go in, you're supposed to want to win, you're a professional, right? So yeah. Yeah. have you have you improved your jab? Have you improved your hook? Are you yeah. so I, like I like you said you're working with Chop Chop Corley, which is yeah. absolutely yeah. one of the best Southpaw fighters to ever yeah. step into the ring, right? So yes, you're, not a, one, you're not a you're not a southpaw. Yeah. He can well, yeah. I'm, so well, on, are you are you working with him every day? Well, I don't work with him personally every day. Um, I, I I'm in communication communication with him every week, but I don't work with him every day. Okay. Um, if if okay, let me let me ask you another question. So if you're doing something wrong in training. Who is correcting it? Uh, the person, the, the the person that is correcting it. Um, a lot of times, you know, Chop Chop is in Vegas, um, where I'm in North Carolina. Um, sometimes Chop Chop and I will be on, you know, we'll be on video call. And you, you know, we'll say, hey, you know, you need to tighten up on this. Sometimes Quentin Rankin is there to say, hey, you need to do this. And as you know, in one of his last fights. He fought former world champion Chad Dawson. Um, you know, so. right? And I, and I'm familiar. Okay, so I'm I'm familiar yeah. with Quentin. Had one of the greatest fights ever in North Carolina, so that I have ever seen. Um, one of David Moore's shows. So mm-hmm. I'm familiar with Chop Chop. But what I'm getting at is, okay, you're 0 and 4, right? Mm-hmm. You have no amateur experience. The only mm-hmm. experience that you've had in boxing is what we've seen in four rounds. And it's not even four full rounds. So what I'm asking is on a day-to-day. So I'm going to ask you what your, train, what your training day looks like, but I also want to know on a day-to-day, when you're practicing throwing your jab, 
Who is there to correct it? Like, who is standing there holding your hand? Because now you're a professional, right? Let's get this straight. You are a professional fighter. Who the hell is there making sure that you have professional skills? Because I'm, I'm, I'm looking at what's happened to you in the ring. I'm looking to where you're going, and I don't see anything good coming out of it. The fact that okay. Cam Har the fact that Cam Harvey has gotten you, you know, to talk to some people. Like I talk to boxers all the time. Like I, I'm trying to tell you, there's no difference from what you're doing. I'm a former football player. I still run, you know, and I I don't spar, but I hit a bag and I, you know that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And like right. I said, boxing is my thing. So I talk box mm-hmm. and watch box, and I think I could box, but I know damn right. well if I get into a ring, I'm getting the shit knocked out of me. So right. you need to convince me because I I I'm I'm calling bullshit, and I'm calling bullshit on Cam uh-huh. Harvey because he's not he's a good guy he knows he's uh he's a good manager good with financials that kind of stuff mm-hmm. you know but he's not a boxing manager he's like he's putting you in a bad position if he's not spending money getting you training like real training. Then he's wasting your time, and he's putting you in danger. So what is it that you do on a day-to-day? Who's holding your hand to make sure that you're actually learning the sport of boxing? Because this is the biggest, and I hate to go on this rant, but this is the biggest downfall of North Carolina boxing. It's absolute Mm -hmm. bullshit when these guys get in a ring, and I'm not taking this out on you personally, but it's bullshit when all these guys, they come from Wilson, they come from Concord, they come from all over the fucking state, and they don't know boxing. They say, I'm a boxer. Right. Yeah, you know, you look good. You got, you know, a little abs and that. But you can't throw a fucking punch. You don't know the difference between a fish hook and a left hook. So what is right. it that you, Moe's Miraculous M4 Smith, are doing to make yourself a real pro. Well, that's what I'm doing is I'm working with real pros. I'm taking the advantage that I have that some people do not have and getting the uh, leveraging the advice, the training, and the work of real pros, of former world champions, and saying, okay, this is this is what we're doing. This is what I need to be doing. Okay, Moses, this isn't what you need to be doing. All right. And I'm taking their advice day to day. I'm taking their training advice. I'm taking their even down to their diet advice. I'm taking how you know, like you say, Quentin Rankin, one of the best a pound for I will say one of the best pound for pound boxers out of North Carolina, um, and saying, okay, hey, I, I'm, I'm listening. And if he says, you, throw, you need to switch up the way you throw this hook, you need to switch the way you throw this uppercut, and that's what you need to do. Um, you know, I, I'm taking that advice, I'm honing it, and I, I'm ready to show everybody and, and trust me, first of all, I do want to say that, yes, out of the Carolinas, 
there has been a lot of bull to come out of the Carolinas. A lot of guys that say, I'm a professional boxer, and uh, they don't know anything about boxing. For example, DeMonte Carey, who I lost the first fight to, um, I was supposed to fight him on August 29th of last year on, South, on a Southpaw Promotions card. And he literally, I was there ready to fight. I was dressed. My hands were wrapped. My gloves were signed off on. So were his. And then they called me, to, they, they called him to the ring, and he had literally gone out the back door and left the arena running, would not fight me. I was ready oh, to wow. show in that fight. I was ready to show in that fight that I was ready to demolish him. I, I, and his, his hands were also signed off on by the commissioner. Um, and he, he served a suspension for that. Um, you know, I, of course, I feel like if a fighter does that, you don't need to be, be allowed to box anymore. But he's had a fight since, and he got knocked out cold in the first round. Um, but, yes. A lot of the guys that come out of, especially that come out of Wilson, uh, North Carolina, uh, give us fighters from from North Carolina a bad name and a bad reputation. Um, And because of that, we have to fight a lot harder and a little bit harder. And that's something I also learned in the boxing game is that a lot of these guys have given us guys that really are doing this and train hard and work hard to – and fight hard to have a career and to go forward. They've given us a bad name and made it harder on all of us. And okay. But, so you had Skip Crumpler in your corner for one of your fights. So yep, and, and, every, and everybody listening and everybody around the country knows what a skipper is. So if Skip Crumpler brings yep. a fighter, everybody knows what a skipper is. What is the difference between a skipper mm-hmm. and Moe Smith? The difference between a skipper and Moe Smith, and, and it's funny you ask that because I've been able to talk to some of the guys and being in the, in the locker room with them um, and having, uh, having Skip bring them to a fight, and I talk to them. And the difference between me and them is, is these guys will tell you out of their own mouth that Skip Crumpler does not train them. He would, they will tell you out of their own mouth, they might have hit a heavy bag for an hour in their entire training camp before a fight, that he says, oh, come to the gym, and just says, go get that heavy bag. He does not instruct them on how to throw a jab or how to do anything else. They come, in the, they come into boxing looking like they're just in, in a street fight that they think is going to last 15 seconds. This isn't an amateur fight. Amateur fights, as you know, they last three one-minute rounds. But these guys are fighting like they, these skip fighters come in and they fight like it's a fight that's not going to last a minute. It's only going to last 15 seconds. They have no stamina. They may, they may have a tiny bit of power, but they don't know how to use it. They don't know what to do with it. They may have – if they have stamina – they don't have enough power to put anybody down. And that's the difference between me and them is I am a trained fighter, first of all. Second of all, I have the stamina to go. And this next fight is a four-round fight. 
I've got the stamina to go 10 rounds if I need to. Uh, and that's 10 three-minute rounds, not one-minute rounds in the amateurs. That's 10, per, that's 10 pro rounds. And then on top of it, I have the skill, and I know how to use my power. And I have the power to go with my stamina and endurance. And I know how, with my skill, I know how to use that power to put somebody to sleep. I'm trained to do this. They're not trained at all. They're literally people that you go, you can go off the corner and say, hey, you want to make $400? You want to make $1,000? Yeah, sure. Well, this is what we're going to do. That's what a skip fighter is. A skip fighter is your average Joe that you find in a bar or on a street corner that just wants to make a buck. Okay. So, Mose, so with that said, and I'm going to ask you this question again. This is the mm-hmm. third time I've asked you this question. Uh-huh. Who is your trainer? My trainers are right now Cameron Harvey and Quentin Rankin and myself. Okay. So <laughs> Quentin is still an active fighter, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. when you got – Okay, so when you guys go to the gym, what is your mm-hmm. what is your routine look like in a day? What do you do? What do you do? Just describe to what you do when you go to the gym. What do you wake up and what do you do? Well, when I when I wake up in the morning, before I ever go to the gym, I get up and I go do my road work on my own. Um, road work is is something that you can have somebody do it with you, but I get up and I go do my road work. Okay, and, so you do your road work. Yep, and, and then as soon as I get done with my road work, I immediately start my calisthenics. And then I may go hit the gym, and when I hit the gym, it's getting on the bag, working the reflex bag, working the heavy bag, and working, working mitt work, and making sure that my footwork is right, that if I throw a, a cross, if I throw an uppercut, I throw a hook that I, I make sure that my, my, my pivot is correctly. I make sure to pivot with, with maximum power because, as you know, for a boxer, the way that you pivot, swivel your hips, everything, affects how you do your punch, how much energy you exert, how much power is forced through that punch. I make sure that everything is fine-tuned to make sure that when, yes, my jab is nice, I, I make sure that it's got, it, as old trainers would say, that my, my, jab, my jab's got that snap to it. That, okay. That my jab so that snap now, now you I, say your jab has a snap to it, right? Who's told you that? Cam Harvey? No. Is there somebody that you're sparring? That, I mean, how do you know that your jab has, just, has snapped to it? Because... It's one thing to – so, I, all right, let's say you go to the gym every day, right? You go to the uh, gym yeah, every just day? About, just about, yeah. Okay, it can't, it can't, if you're a pro fighter, it can't be just about. So that, that's the first thing, right? So you're telling me no, you're a pro no, and just about. Do you go to the gym no, every day no, or not? I, I don't. There are some days that I, I do take days off. That's why I say just about because everybody okay. needs to take days off for a good break. All right, so I'll, I'll just stop right there. So 
Let me ask you this. We'll, we'll, let's get this back because, brother, I'm sorry. I don't see it getting any better because you're telling me, you know, like you're going to the gym, hitting the bag. Is somebody teaching you? Did somebody teach you yet how to hit the bag? I mean, I know you work with Quentin Rankin, but I know he can only give you so much time. But is he standing there like the kids in Durham, they have Coach Massey. Coach Massey will stand there with him and teach him the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Like, who's taught you the fundamentals? You know, see, that's the thing about it, the fundamentals. Where I, where I did have my time with Benji Singleton, I had the fundamentals before I debuted. I, I it, it's honing the fundamentals, and that's something that pros have to continue to do. Is they we have to continue honing the fundamentals and improving on the fundamentals to get better. You take the fundamentals and use them as building blocks. I I had the building blocks before I left Benji Singleton's gym. Benji Singleton gave me the fundamentals of this is the way you throw this, this is the way you throw that, this is the way you work this, this is the way you work that. And the people that I work with now just help me fine-tune those fundamentals and add, the, as you said, the little tweaks that carry you over to win the fight. Okay. Okay. Yeah, all right, I'll take your word for that. All right. Like I said, I'm going to put this back on the right track because it's just – it blows my mind – Mm-hmm. to have the chance to talk to a pro fighter and for him to tell me, you know, that nobody's teaching. Because even Bernard Hopkins would tell you he's still, he, you know, that guy fought forever. And he tells mm-hmm. you he still had to go and work with his trainer every day to sharpen his fundamentals. You talk about iron sharpening iron. Well, if you don't have iron in the first place, what the hell are you sharpening it on, Right. Right. So, so, and there's so, so, so many layers to this, and there's so many levels yes. to boxing, you know, how that is. But let, let me ask you this. So that yes. in the end, what is it that you ultimately want to get out of the sport of boxing? In the end, ultimately, um, I have goals for the heavyweight division, and I have goals um, – also, after I reach those goals in the heavyweight division, I'm going to drop down to the cruiserweight division, and the ultimate goal is to become a cruiserweight world champion. Um, so, but my goals in the heavyweight division, there are titles that um, that I'm going after, and people that I'm going after to show people, but because it's me saying. I'm putting these titles around my waist. And for those people, such as yourself, you know, as you said, you know, playing the devil's advocate, you don't see it. Well, it's time for you to see it. You're going to see it firsthand. And when you see it firsthand, you'll say, hey, Moses told us. Moses told us he was ready. He told us that he was iron. He told us not only was he iron, but he was sharp iron and that he was ready to cut everybody down. And so in the heavyweight division, I'm going to show that. Um, and by, by all means, and I learned something from, um, you know, learning as, as others have from, uh, you know, 
Ward Jones Jr., Bernard Hopkins, Muhammad Ali, Mayweather, where, you know, yes, you have those fights where there may be black, bad blood in the fight, but most of the fights it's not a bad blood fight. Um, where I, I respect my opponents. I no longer underestimate my opponents. But, um, like, for example, Rydell May just won the USBF title. I'm coming for it. Dylan Corson, he doesn't have a title yet. I'm going ahead and knocking him off my list. Michael Matuzas, somebody told me the other day that he was the, the heavyweight king of South Carolina. And I said, the heavyweight king of South Carolina, I said, nah, I said, I'm here to show everybody that I'm the heavyweight king of Carolina, period, that whatever division I'm in, I'm the king of that division coming out of the Carolinas and coming out of the South. Um, that, that That's my division, period. Um, and so after I beat Dylan Corson, I'm going after Michael Matulis, who who just happens to be somebody that had very limited amateur experience and was a football player. Well, but he, he has six for, pro wins. He's six and one as a pro. Yeah. And this is the thing. He can be six and one when he's fighting bumps. And that's the other thing is I'm coming to expose these dudes that are getting wins off of bumps and show that they don't belong in my sport. I'm not just the king of the Carolinas. Boxing is my sport. It's, it is what I do. And I'm coming to expose people like Michael Matulis, who's 6-1 and one, and had a debut knock him out because he's garbage. People are touting him up because he's fighting people that are spit fighters and beating them. And they're saying, oh, he's 6-1. Well, guess what? I've never fought a skip fighter except for DeMonte Cherry. Everybody that i fought, Dustin Long, Joel Cottle, have been on, have won titles either in MMA or in boxing. Um, Dustin Long and Joel Cottle won multiple titles in MMA before they came to boxing. Willie Harvey in one of his last fights, for somebody that I believe does have world uh, world class talent, and that's that was uh, Bakhtiar Dilovov. Willie showed that he had the heart of a lion going to fight that man, because I believe he really does have world class talent. He has the talent to win a world heavyweight title. He's just got to keep working at it. But the thing about me, where Michael Matulis is six and one. And he ain't fought nothing but bums, and the first person that was halfway decent knocked him out. Well, guess what? The second person that's going to knock him out is me because he's a bum. When you beat nothing but bums, you're a bum. Dylan Corson, same way. He beat nothing but bums. Look at the dudes that they fight. They fight dudes that are 0 3, 0 4, and have, no, like you said, come from Wilson, North Carolina with Skip and have no chance of winning. And they're the people, they're fighting the people that make North Carolina fighters look bad. So when they're fighting bombs and people start talking, oh, he's 6-1, tell them to fight Joel Cost. Tell them to fight Willie Hart. Tell them to fight Dustin Moss. And then if they don't want to fight none of them, 
tell them to step up to the plate and get knocked out by me because that's exactly what's going to happen. Miraculous M4 is coming for you all. Everybody that's fought bonds, I'm coming for you. Look at the record of the people they fought. The people they fought never belonged in the ring world. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then, you know, the... <laughs> I mean, you, you make a strong point. So... Of... So Mike Matulis has six. He's six and one, and the guys that he's beaten don't have six wins combined. So exactly, you make exactly. you you make a point. So, but I would. Uh, I'm curious to see what happens February 13th. So, and I commend you for stepping in the ring again. And this has been, you know, it's been a pleasure. It's eye opening. I hope you know listeners get a chance to. To hear this, I had a guy, Steve Cunningham, on the uh, the show, on the podcast. Yes. And, you know, he, he's a former world champion. So he had a different yes. point of view So versus what you're going through and, and the things that you talk about. So it, yes. it, it's, 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 you know, the contrast is, it, it's just different. It, it, and it's, yes. it's, uh, it's very vivid in what, he does and what you do, you know, you're trying to surround yourself. I know Cam Harvey has his be- your best interest at heart. Yeah. So hopefully you guys will – eventually you'll get a trainer so you don't get hurt. And I, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I hear you, brother, but I hear what you're saying, but I, I, I you know – it's and it's just my opinion, but man, boxing is not a sport to be played with. That's right. Some people don't understand that, but it's different from watching a guy outside of the ring. Mayweather says this all the time, and I wish mm-hmm. guys would listen. It's different seeing a guy fighting in the ring than when you get in there with him. It's totally different. Speed right. is different. The punches coming at you are different. So you know just. Be careful. Learn as much as you can. There's there's some guys that you know they're you know two and fifty four, but what they know how to do is protect themselves. They've also had amateur backgrounds, so just you know, God bless you, man. I I will pray for you. Again, I appreciate you coming on the show. Yes. So, and you know, my show is about shameless plugs. So I'm going to give you oh, yeah. one more chance to, you know, plug yourself, brag about yourself, talk about the gym that you're at, you know, social media, share that so fans can follow you and learn more about your story. Yes. Um, as far as social media goes, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Miraculous underscore M4. Uh, you, can fo- you can also follow me anywhere else Um at Miraculous M4, um, and, and it, it's it, it's time to show the world that Miraculous M4 is not only the heavyweight king of the Carolinas, but I am one of the best pound-for-pound boxers coming out of the United States today. And that's exactly what's going to happen. 
I'm fighting Dylan Corson next in Gadsden, Georgia. And it's going to be the very beginning of everybody seeing and saying, okay, the same thing DeMonte Cherry said August 29th. I better run. I don't want to fight him because I'm not coming to play. As you said, Chris, you don't play boxing, and I'm not coming to play with anybody. I'm coming to cut everybody down that steps in my way, period. Okay. All right. And let me do this. Let me end this. If you could step into my shoes, what would you have asked yourself that I did not ask you? Um, I would have asked myself, what is this that makes you feel after four losses like you can still do, do what is your motivation to still get up and want to keep going? And the answer to that question is my children. Because I look, right, at, I, I, hear look my, I look at my kids and I realize that if I don't show them a king and a champion, then they don't then they don't see one. And they have to see one in their own household. And they will see one in their father. I'm a father of seven and that's seven people I'm never gonna let down. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. All right. Mo Smith, this has been very revealing. And I wish you the best in everything you do. And I wish you, you know, perfect health in the ring, coming out of the ring. So thank you again for coming on and sharing your story on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. Thank you.